If you've been with us for the past few months, you know that we've been making our way through Isaiah. Now, this morning, because of Mother's Day, we'll take a break and consider Proverbs chapter 31. The primary portion of this passage we'll consider is found at the bottom, at the end, starting in verse 28. But for context's sake, I'd like us to read starting in verse 10 of Proverbs 31. That can be found on page 1032 of our Pew Bibles. So, loved ones, hear now the word of God from Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it as we consider it together this morning. Well, as I mentioned, loved ones, today is Mother's Day, and as we're all mindful of that, thinking of that, I thought it would be wise for us to pause and consider a passage like this, which speaks so clearly and powerfully to the importance of women and mothers in our life. And so our first point will be the ideal mother that's described here in this passage. Our second point will be our actual mothers and what we're called to do for them in honoring them. And our third point will be in consideration of our spiritual mother. So first, the ideal mother. What we see here is a description of the ideal woman. She is described in verse 10 as this wife of noble character, a noble wife, or as the King James Version says, a virtuous woman. 
And those are fine translations, but it doesn't exactly capture the fullness of what the Hebrew term is here. The Hebrew term is eshet ha'il. And so that Hebrew, uh, ha'il, is used for strength and courage of a soldier in other parts of the Old Testament, or the skill and competence of a farmer. And so what we find is that this noble wife, this excellent woman here, is proficient, strong in all spheres of life. She is one who has applied all the wisdom in the Proverbs. She is a wise woman who is filled with the fear of the Lord. And that's why Proverbs 31 is found here at the very end of the book of Proverbs. The composers of the book put it here at the end to complement what came earlier at the beginning of Proverbs. In the beginning of Proverbs, which we read earlier as well, in Proverbs 1 through 9, those chapters, we find that the wisdom of God is personified, is portrayed as a person, as lady wisdom. And the description of this industrious woman here in Proverbs 31 is the conclusion to the book. And so the ideal woman is the practical manifestation of everything that Lady Wisdom represents and has taught us in the book of Proverbs. Lady Wisdom stands at the beginning of Proverbs, telling us the way in which we ought to walk. And here at the very end stands this ideal woman who embodies that wisdom in all areas of life. And we find that she is wise, filled with the fear of the Lord. She's hardworking. She cares for the well-being of her household and all those connected to her. She provides food and shelter and clothing. She is hospitable to others. She respects those around her. She is loving to her own. And above all, it's a crown jewel upon her head. She fears the Lord. Now, in giving us this description at the end of Proverbs, what is the purpose of this idealistic picture of a woman? Well, we have to remember that the first intended audience of Proverbs is young boys. This book was written to young boys, much like some of you here today. It was given to us to give wisdom to all, yes, but it was written through the voice of a father often, speaking to his son, so a father or a mother addressing his son, giving counsel to his young boys. This book gives young boys the wisdom that they need to grow up and become thriving young men and adults in life. Therefore, we can say that the main purpose of this idealistic picture here at the end of the book is to help young boys make a wise decision about how they will search for a wife which is especially important in life. And that's why verse 10 asks the question, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. So young boys, young boys and single men, if you're here today, this poem is describing for you the kind of wife that you should look for. This is the kind of woman that, that God is telling you to seek out and to find. It's not the kind of woman that the world is advertising to us day in and day out, is it? This is what our Creator says is best for us, and we are to listen to Him and His wisdom, not the world. One commentator says this, when a group of boys 
gets together, they almost always talk about girls. I know that that was true for myself when I was in middle school and high school. We get together and we talk, among other things, also about girls. And when they do, he says, they almost always talk about physical beauty. It doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. The last thing that you'll hear from them is the praise of a girl's industriousness. That's not something that young boys talk about. Oh, what an industrious young woman, hardworking, diligent in her studies, right? It's not something that the world prizes today. The verses 13 to 19 describe this significant aspect of a godly woman, but it probably, this commentator says, it probably does not cause much enthusiasm in boys. However, the point is that it must be that way. If you are wise, the industriousness, the diligence, the God-fearing that you see in a woman should make you enthusiastic to pursue her, to love her, to find such a woman as her. In other words, you are a fool if you prize physical beauty of a woman over a woman who fears the Lord. Don't be a fool. Don't be like the strong man Samson in the Bible. He was foolish, right? Time and time again, we find that he fell into the deceptive trap of charm and fleeting beauty. He was pulled away from obedience to his God by the charm of that woman, Delilah, who was very beautiful to the eyes. In the end, how did it turn out for Samson? Very bad. Very bad. His decision to follow charm ended up in his own personal destruction. Samson chose a wife for himself, so to speak, by his eyes, according to fleeting beauty and charm. In the end, the Philistines, what did they do? They took out his eyes. There's some poetic justice in that. And then they bound him up as a slave. And then the roof fell upon him. Now, by comparison, the book of Ruth, in that book, we find another man, a wiser man, Boaz. Boaz, who chose his wife by his ears, not by his eyes. What do I mean? Well, he heard the reports of others from out in the fields, from the community, the other men, the other people around him, who praised the character, the godliness of Ruth her inner beauty. When Boaz accepted her offer of redemption and marriage, he said this to her, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Why? For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. A worthy woman. Now, this is very fascinating here, interesting, because Ruth 3.11, where it says that worthy woman, is the only other place in the rest of the Bible where we find that phrase, Eshet Hayil, the noble woman, the noble wife. It's the only other place in the Old Testament where that appears. And so this same phrase that is found in Proverbs 31 for a noble wife or a virtuous woman is there describing Ruth. And it is no coincidence that in the order of the Hebrew Bible, which is a bit different than how we find it in our Bibles today, that Ruth, the book of Ruth, follows immediately after which book? Proverbs. After which chapter? Proverbs 31. Why? Well, in the story of redemption, Ruth here is a historical example of what a virtuous woman, a noble wife, should look like. 
And how did things go for Boaz with Ruth? Well, very, very well. He had renown in Israel, and also God chose him to be the great-grandfather of King David. He and Ruth became part of the biological ancestry of the Christ, the Messiah, according to the flesh. And so Boaz chose a wife wisely, and it went well for him. One more comment here on this idea, this picture of the ideal woman as we're considering it. We have to remember that ideals, by definition, are not real in the sense of not actualities. Even Ruth was not ultimately an ideal woman because she too was a sinner saved by the grace of God. She was not perfect. But ideals are helpful for us because they give us this highest standard to pursue. And so even though there is no ideal woman that actually exists in real life, this ideal shows us what a godly woman should be as a reflection of the image of God. In a very similar way, we can think of how when we study the life and person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we find in him the ideal man, who was an actual man as well. Jesus embodied the fullness of God's wisdom perfectly and obeyed God's law perfectly. And as men, we are to aspire to be like Jesus, that high standard. But we also acknowledge our massive shortfalls that we fail time and time again. Because of the sinful disease that we're all born with, so to speak, Women cannot fully live out this picture of an ideal woman that we find here at the end of Proverbs 31, just as men cannot fully live out the perfection of the ideal man, Jesus Christ. But it is still important to have that ideal, to set our aspirations high to the highest thing possible. But now this leads us to our second point, not only the ideal mother, but also here our actual mothers. None of us growing up had an ideal mother. We were all born with actual mothers that, like us, are flawed sinners. This is important for us to think about, that when God gave the Israelites at Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments, he wasn't talking to perfect people. He was talking and addressing sinners. And so when he included that fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother, God was not calling us to simply honor an ideal mother and wait for the ideal or perfect mother. No, he's calling us to honor our fathers and mothers despite their failings and weaknesses in life, despite the fact that they're not perfect. The Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Zacharias or Sinus, the author of it, explains the fifth commandment in this way, saying that we are to show honor, love, and faithfulness to our father and mother and all those in authority over us, submit ourselves with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that we be patient with their failing, for by their hand God wills to rule us. So in other words, just because your actual mother has at times failed you, you are still called. You are still called to honor her with patient obedience. The call is from God. In verse 28 of Proverbs 31, we see how the children and the husband of this woman show her honor. What do they do? It says, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. 
Now, what does it mean to arise and call your mother blessed? Well, it means to stand up and publicly acknowledge before others the blessedness of your mother. In other words, it means to have the humility within you to see that God has used your mother to be a fountain of life to you personally. What do I mean? Well, either by conception in your mother's womb or by adoption, we own or we owe our own lives, our very life, to our mothers. Again, despite their failings. So each of us here today would not exist. We would not be here sitting t- today in this place if it were not for our mothers. If our mothers chose to end our lives in the womb by abortion, we would not be here today. So we owe our thanks to our mothers for incubating us within, our, within their wombs and giving us life, giving birth to us in that sense. We also owe thanks to our mothers for taking us into their homes to care for us, to feed us, to clothe us. Even when we're rebellious little punks, mothers still love us and care for us. And so we are to honor her with our life and with our words. See how these children, they arise. They arise, they stand up. They're unashamed of their mother. They're not embarrassed by their mother. They stand to honor her and they speak well of her with their mouth, calling her blessed. So too, we find as well, men, that her husband sings her praises, sings praises of her. And so men, we should delight to speak well of our wives to others, both in her presence and in her absence. So in her presence, while she's there with you, speak well of your wife to others around you. Give her credit for all that she does, for her hospitality, her love, and when you're with your friends as well and co-workers, when she's not there, speak well of your wife. Don't slander the name of your wife by complaining about her shortcomings and failures. Think of Adam in the beginning before the fall, before sinfulness had corrupted his nature, how he delighted in his wife. And the first words that came out of his mouth were a poem, in a sense, of praise, thanking God for the wife that he had given to him. Men, Sing your wife's praises at home in her presence and out in the street in her absence. Sing her praises. Now, hearing that, you might be a bit nervous here. Call her blessed. Sing her praises. Isn't that taking away the glory of God? Aren't we only supposed to praise God? How are we to understand this? Well, calling our earthly mothers blessed and praising our wives does not take away from God's glory in any way. In reality, That glorifies God because we believe that it is only by God's grace working in our mother or in our wife that is making and keeping her so blessed. It is only because of God's grace at work within her. And we need to remember that no person is blessed all by themselves except for God himself. God is the eternally blessed one. All others, all of us who are blessed, We share in that blessedness as a gift that we've received from God. By creation, by him creating us, that was a blessing, but also by his grace that he bestows upon us, that is a blessing. And so when we call someone blessed, we're ultimately recognizing that God has graced them with blessedness. To call someone blessed is to recognize how God has especially favored that person. And we see the evidence, the fruit of it in their lives. 
That is what these children are doing. They rise up to call their mother blessed because they see her virtues and they value them. You see, a wise child, a wise child values the virtues of his mother. A wise child values his mother's discipline as well. You th- think of this, fools, fools think that their mom is cool because they let them do whatever they want. That's foolish. That's so foolish. You know that that is wrong. Just imagine this. Imagine this. What kind of person would you be today, here and now, if growing up from your earliest days until this very point that you got everything that you ever asked for or wanted from your parents or in life? Imagine what kind of person you would be. Every toy out in the store. I want that. Oh, please give it to me. Give it to me. Everything that you wanted in the store. Every request to go out with friends, no matter who they were. What if you got every request answered and said, yeah, go for it. Go with them. Or every choice for dinner. Ah, I really want candy. Candy is good for me tonight. That's fine. That's good dinner for me. What if we got everything that we wanted? What kind of person would you be today? If your mom let you have everything you wanted, you would be a selfish brat. That's who you would be. An egomaniac monster. A narcissist that thinks that everything is going for them and in your way. You see, God has used your mother to tame the beast in you. Right? God has used your mother to keep you from becoming the worst version of yourself. And that's what you would become if your mother let you rule your life the way you want to rule your life. She's keeping you from becoming the worst version of yourselves. You see, we have to remember that our mothers and our fathers, they love us more than anybody else in the whole world. They want to see you bloom and blossom like a radiant rose. And so at times they prune you. They cut off pieces so that it produces good, vibrant colors in your life, good fruit. They want you to shine like a diamond in life. And so they put a little pressure on you as well with their discipline. You see, godly parents are doing all that they can ultimately to keep us out of jail or keep us from entering into an abusive relationship. They're doing all that they can to see us thrive in life. And a wise kid, a wise person, sees the gift of his mother and he rises to thank God for her. We should thank God, saying, thank you, God, for my mother. If it weren't for her loving care, I would be far worse off than I am today. Now, saying that maybe you're here today and you're truly worse off, in a sense, because of the lack of a godly mother in your life. And I feel great sympathy for you. And that is a real personal tragedy for some people in this world. It is a sad card of God's providence. It was dealt to you in his mysterious plan. But almost all of us, even if we did not have a decent mother or a mother at all in our life, almost all of us can point to women in our life that God sent along the way to come alongside us, to care for us, and to protect us, to love us. For example, we can think of our grandmothers. We can think of our teachers in our school. You can also think of our church family as well, where we find older women who come alongside us in the nursery, who teach us the word of God in, in the catechism classes, who fed us in those ways. 
This reminds us of an important point that in God's mysterious plan for all things, we do not always find that women are called or permitted to become mothers, even if they truly wanted it and prayed for it to happen. Why? I don't know. I can't explain that. God has his reasons which are higher than our reasons. But God does call each and every one of us to what I call the principle of generativity. What do I mean, principle of generativity? We're not all called to be life bearers, but we are all called to be life givers and life caretakers. We are called to sacrifice our time and our energy to invest in the life and well-being of others around us in order to generate life, well-being, to help others thrive in Christ. We are all called to that. Some, so on all days, but especially on Mother's Day, we should pause to thank God for all those women along the way in our own lives that sacrificed their time and energy to invest in us and our own well-being, for they too are in part our actual mothers in life, gifts that God has given us. And this gets us to our third point. In addition to honoring actual mothers, we should also recognize and honor our spiritual mother. So we should call our spiritual mother blessed. Now, I do not mean the blessed mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. The young virgin Mary, she is not my mother. She is not your mother. She was the mother of Jesus of Nazareth. She was the mother of the Apostle James and his other siblings. She was nobody else's mother. What then has God given us to be our spiritual mother? It is the church. The church is our spiritual mother, the bride of Christ. What evidence we find of this? Well, in 2 John, 2 John verses 1 to 2, the apostle addresses the recipient of this letter saying this, referring to himself, the elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Almost all the commentators agree that here John, when he says to the lady chosen by God and to her children, is referring to a particular local church and to its members, the Christians therein. That means that the Apostle John, in his mind, understood the local church to be God's choice as the spiritual mother for Christians, who are her spiritual children. Now, in the 16th century, the reformer John Calvin repeated what was earlier said by Cyprian in the 4th century, that no one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. In other words, you cannot claim to be a child of God the Father if you do not belong to the household of faith and to your mother, your spiritual mother, the church. So friends, the the local church is the spiritual mother that Christ has given to us to care for us. Now, is she the most exciting, cool, and charming thing that this world has to offer, the church? No, no, she's not. But remember, charm is deceitful. It is a trap. The church is not always physically attractive as much as the world would offer us. 
But it is foolish to chase the appearance of outward beauty with the eyes. Instead, we should listen for that internal true beauty with our ears. And wherever a true church exists, we hear the word of God faithfully preached and we find the fear of the Lord to be its crowning jewel. Now, in what ways is the church like a mother to us? Well, our earthly mothers, they gave birth to us, did they not? So too, it is through the gospel ministry of the church that we are born again. Our earthly mothers, they bathed us from the earliest days to make us clean. And so too, we were bathed here in the church or in another local church by the waters of our baptism. Our earthly mothers fed us with milk. And so too, we long for the spiritual milk of God's word, faithfully taught, which we find where? In the church. Our earthly mothers clothed our nakedness and served us daily bread, and so too we are clothed in the robes of Christ's righteousness and fed with the bread of life through the service of the church. Cyprian again says this, the church's faithfulness spreads branches over the whole world. It sends forth her rivers freely flowing, yet the source is one, and she is one mother, plentiful in fruitfulness. We are born from her womb, nourished by her milk, given life by her spirit. So friends, this is so important for us today in our current moments in our culture, because lately what have we seen? We have seen a trend of dishonor in our culture against the church. Sadly, it has become popular to stand and slander the local church. Countless people have stood not to call her blessed, not to sing her praises, but instead many have stood to accuse the church, to slander her name, to smear her reputation in the world. Now, in some instances, we have to admit that there are real evils that exist in some churches and accusations against real evil are warranted and necessary. But often people stand to slander the church because of one particular thing, her discipline, her discipline her commitment to godliness and to the ways of Christ. When God's commandments are faithfully proclaimed in the church, the people stand to accuse her of being harsh, backwards, or worse, hateful. So friends, despite the failings and weaknesses of the local church, we have to recognize that she is our spiritual mother that Christ has given to us. And as John says, if we accept the truth of the gospel, we are her children. And what does John stand to say about the church? He sings her praises here. He rose up to say that he loves her in the truth. Not only that, he says that all who know the truth love her also. We speak well of those that we love, do we not? We love ourselves, and so we rarely speak ill of ourselves, is one example. We love our heroes, and it's hard for us to hear anyone say something bad about our heroes, whether they're political, historical heroes, right? We say good things about them. We safeguard their name and their reputation. We should do this for our actual mothers in life, but also our spiritual mother, the church, as well. We should recognize the gift that Christ has given to us in the church and thank God for her. So as the world stands to slander the church Let us arise and call her blessed. Let us sing her praises. Why? Because God loves her. 
Remember that Jesus laid down his life for her church, his church in love for her. Jesus is that ideal man, as we considered earlier, who perfectly embodied wisdom, the wisdom of God and all of his law. The ideal man loved us so much that he was willing to die in our place, taking the slander and shame of our own sin upon his back that we deserve there on the cross for us. And he's forgiven us all of our failings, all of our weaknesses. Who are we to now stand as those who've been forgiven by Christ? Who are we to stand and slander the church for her weaknesses? Remember that Jesus was lifted up on the cross to be cursed. Why? So that he could rise from the dead to call us blessed in him. And he is making his church perfect and blameless now by the washing of his word through the spirit of God. Jesus, think of this, he's using his word to bless his bride, the church. He speaks well of her. He delights in her. So friends, let us be thankful to God for our actual mothers and thankful to Jesus that we belong to our spiritual mother, the church. And let us rejoice that Jesus rose from the dead to sing our praises. That is, to bring us into his glory by the power of his gracious word, the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we admit our own failures and our own arrogance, our rebellious ways, and that instead of being those who speak well of others, that often our lips are filled with slander and accusations and grumbling and complaining, Lord, we ask that you give us the humility and love to see the blessings that you have given us, to in wisdom not only see with our eyes, but to see with our ears, to listen for what is true, to listen for what is good, to listen for what is beautiful according to your word, and not only according to what the world says. Lord, give us these gospel lenses to see life through what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be your own children. You've lavished us with your love in Christ and that you now have called us to belong to your church. We ask that you would continue to bless her, strengthen her, build up her walls until Christ comes again and presents his bride spotless and blameless before you, O Father, on that last day in the wedding feast uh, with the bride of Christ, the church, and the bridegroom, Jesus. We long for that day. Prepare us. Continue to strengthen us to that end. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Loved ones, in a fitting application, let's stand and, in a sense, sing the praises of the church. 403 glorious things.